Welcome to the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors, presented by FMG Suite. Listen to interviews with the movers, shakers, geniuses, and innovators of the financial advisory world. Visit FMGSuite.com to discover more great resources and products to transform you into an extraordinary marketer and grow your advisory. And now, without further delay, the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors. Hi, everybody. Mike Woods here, one of the founding members of FMG Suite. Welcome to the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors presented by FMG Suite. More than 40,000 advisors rely on FMG Suite to help them stay connected, build relationships, and grow their business. Now it's your turn. Visit us at fmgsuite.com and schedule a demo so you can see our tools in action. Today, I'm excited to be speaking with Dr. Travis Perry, who is the founder and CEO of Make Time Institute. In today's podcast, we talk a lot about former Green Bay Packer quarterback Brett Favre and his decision to cut his own grass in his house in Summerall, Mississippi. When asked why he cuts his own grass, Brett Favre said, because I want it done right. Too many financial advisors are like Brett Favre. They want it done right, so they find it a challenge to delegate tasks in their practice. Advisors find it difficult to strike a positive work-life balance because they are committed to helping their clients. Enter Travis Perry, who helps advisors identify the three to five things they do well and helps them focus on those specific tasks. He helps advisors conquer the desire to cut their own grass. Market in Motion podcast, spread the word. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Dr. Travis Perry. Hey there, thanks for having me. Doctor, uh, let's set the stage for everyone. You are the founder and CEO of the Make Time Institute. Give listeners a two-minute introduction into the Make Time Institute and wrap in your background. Yeah, thanks. So the Make Time Institute was founded by myself to help busy financial advisors and business owners to really gain back that balance they so need. Uh, a lot of workaholics out there in the industry, which I know we'll get to talking about. And it, this is such a, an, an issue and a problem. I, I get asked to speak at industry conferences, uh, firms all over the country, and I've decided to write and publish a book called Achieving Balance. It hit number one on the first day on Amazon back in July. So we're excited to talk about that. And um, I'll be talking more about those concepts throughout. But if you want to grab a copy, it's still on pre-order currently. You can go to Travis Perry, P-A-R-R-Y.com forward slash book. Yeah, I looked on the website and I looked at Amazon and I see it's on a pre-order. So when do you expect that to come out? That's the golden question. January 9th. <laughs> uh, January 9th. Uh, we had it set for July and then, you know, I was bullish on it and brought it into December. I'm like, I can do this. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll actually have, for those who are on my book launch team, those who have contributed to it, um, they'll get it December 15th, but everybody else will get it to January 9th through Amazon. But yeah, jump on jump on that page. And the reason why I tell people to, to buy it that way is there's a bunch of bonuses there, a bunch of things I'll talk about probably on the podcast, some great training um, for, for mastering your email, um, a, a masterclass on there, a 30-minute masterclass that talks all about some of the concepts in the book. So totally worth it. Ah, awesome. I did, I did see those and I was wondering what the connection was. So awesome. Perfect. Well, let's jump right in. Travis, I wanted to first talk to you a little bit about, uh, well, you spent uh, uh, nearly a decade as a financial advisor and you, you really lived that life of balancing the demands of a practice with the needs of a family. Uh, and then you went back to school and earned a PhD in family relations and human development. 
Um, kind of give us a little bit of your background of what 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 brought you, what challenges uh, did you face, and what what do advisors face? Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that question. So you know, the 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 big impetus for the book, and people ask me why why did you write the book? It's totally this question right here. Well, why would you leave and go get a PhD in family relations? What does that have to do with the industry? Um, has a lot to do with it. Um, in fact, I would say it's crucial. Advisors are actually three times more likely than even a entrepreneur, a business owner to be a workaholic. And according to the, the DSM-5, its definition is you got to work more than 50 hours and have a bunch of psychological issues that keep you wanting to work. In fact, most advisors that I talk to they, they fit some of these you know, symptoms and modes depending on where they are in their business and their practice, but a lot of times they want to ease their stress, and so they work more. I call it the workaholic <laughs> trap. <laughs> right? Let, let's, let's create a practice, and let's go independent or whatever it is. And, and, but no, I'm going to work 80 hours a week because I'm, I'm going to make this lifestyle. Well, in the sure. meantime – in the meantime, their health, their relationships, and even their own personal finances uh, suffer um, at periods of time as mine did. And I lived that life and I see it firsthand. So when my father, who was 49 years old, um, was on a bike ride one day, he was a mountain biker and you know gave that love of mountain biking to me, um, I got a call January 9th from several of my family members saying, hey, dad had a heart attack. He's on his mountain bike. We're not sure what's going on. It went, it was full panic mode. I'm like, wait a minute, my dad's 49. He's going to be fine. Whatever they called it, cardiac arrest, right? That's the legal term. Sure. He's like, no, 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 he's fine. It was totally in shock. But when I spoke at his funeral and I was the last person up there in front of a sea of, you know, uh, wet eyes and faces, um, I, I knew that there was, there was something that I needed to do about stress, stress management and how we manage that. And I got to thinking about my life, about living it with purpose and living it without all of, all of this stress. It really comes down to work-life balance. Gotcha. Um, I love my dad. I had strong connection. He was a great dad. Um, but I, I think that he himself as an entrepreneur, um, didn't really manage stress you know, the way that we should. And I think a lot of advisors are, again, three times more likely to have of that stress buildup, whether it shows up in a heart attack or in a divorce or, you know, maybe even a bankruptcy or, or some financial problems at work. Like that's really tough when you're selling people this idea of reaching your goals and living the life. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, you touched on something that's very interesting there. You talked about uh, how, um, uh, to 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 relieve stress, people work more, uh, and I know I find that in myself, in my uh, in my own my own makeup. I if if I feel like uh, something's going to be a challenge, I'm going to spend more time at it. And I would imagine with the financial advisor, um, that that's almost a chronic condition. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, this is what I hear all the time from my own clients. Well. I've got these really important clients or I have these, you know, these advisors that I, I work with in my firm. They, they matter so much to me that on my vacation, I'll reply to email or I'll check to make sure things are happening. I'm like, where, when do you relieve that stress? 
And some people hang on to it, Mike. Some people just like, no, they own it. Like, that's how I deal with it. And I'm okay with it. Uh, okay. Um, you know, there's, there's a reason why men have a very high heart, you know, attack rate, um, in the United States. It's because of that, that ego right there. Right. You know, it's, it's interesting. Let's spend a second. Now you, you talk about financial advisors and their desire to do it. How does that compare and contrast say with the, with another type of an entrepreneur, uh, say an entrepreneur that, that, that starts up any, uh, any type of company and, and, you know, uh, and, and let's make it more like a, um, uh, a startup, like a tech firm, let's say. That's an easy one, right? Um, just throw tech in there. So you're creating an app. All right. You've got this app you're creating, you've got a team of people you're working with. The deliverable is the app, right? It's not necessarily a service where financial advisors, not only do you have a team and people you're, you're working with on a daily basis, but you've got maybe hundreds, if not thousands of clients you are managing. And so those relationships, that is your business. That's your service, right? Uh, my father was a, my father was a plumber. And I, I went, I remember the day, honestly, the day, Mike, when I, I sat in his plumbing truck going, dad, I love the fact that you're a, you're a business owner. Like you're an entrepreneur. You don't have to answer to anybody. That is so cool. And he looked at me coyly, like with this dumbfounded face, like, Trav, I have hundreds of bosses. <laughs> and I'll, I'll never forget that because I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. As financial advisors, that's how it feels. Like you take on a new client and you kind of reach this peak where like, wow, I'm, I've reached my max, my time, my capacity, whatever that is. And then you start to scale or you just stop. So the, the reality is I find most advisors, they are at a higher risk of workaholic trap and burnout because they have this unique relationship with their clients um, where they, they don't feel like they can hand that off or delegate that responsibility to someone else. And so they are actually three times more likely, according to the research, three times more likely to be workaholics than a normal entrepreneur business owner. Ah, makes sense. Makes sense when you put it that way. Uh, it it really does. Um, uh, I think uh, that you know it um, when you when you run a service business and you have so many people expecting because I, I can't tell you how many advisors I talk to that, that that's a big challenge for them that uh, they feel the the client's relationship was with them it's not with the practice so uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Let's let's Travis. Let's jump over to a, another thought. I wanted to go over. I wanted to talk to you know. You hear a lot about uh, time management, and people people naturally think delegation. They've got to give up something. They've got to give up control, which which sometimes scares the the heck out of people. You know, I I'm, I'm rem- I remembered of a quote I heard from Brett Favre one day when he said uh, uh, people asked him why he still cuts his own grass, and he says because he wants it done right. I think I think many of us can relate to that wanting it done right. How does how does an advisor get into a position where they can delegate, where they can feel like they can delegate, but without giving up control? Great question. Um, and you know, if if I was having this conversation with Brett, um, I would ask, "What grass? Like, is this my <laughs> business grass? Is this my home? Like, what? Are, like, um, so here's here's the thing. Here's the thing." <laughs> 
Um, and I'm, in all I, honesty, don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it was Lambeau Field. So I do. <laughs> right? Like, is he cutting the grass on the football field? No way. No way. Absolutely not. He's getting paid millions of dollars to show up and throw a ball around a field. Now I'm not saying that's not hard. It's what we've done as a, to society. We sure. think that's important, and that's a different story. So we pay people a lot of money and we watch it. Okay. That said, you know, if he's, if he's, if he owns, let's say he owns the football um, um, field, he's not mowing that grass, but if he goes home and mows his own grass, I don't fault him for it at all. I think there's something, again, this is this work-life balance at work, delegate, get rid of all those things that are not in what I call your sweet spot. There are three to five things you can do well at work in a day. And that's it three to five and you're either doing those really well or you're not. And, and it really just comes down to then all those other things that you probably shouldn't be doing. You're usually the ones that are distracting and getting in your way. So with, with Brett, if he's at home, um, I can tell from my own experience, I get told more what to do when I'm at home, <laughs> right? Like, honey, do this, I do that. And dad, can I play with you? And let dad, you said I was going to do this. I mean, there, it comes to a point where I, I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't treat my work time the same as my home. Um, uh, yeah, there might be some things I delegate to my children. I teach them responsibility. I'm on my own grass because I want to do something that's therapeutic. Um, I could hire somebody to take care of my yard. I got to hire them to come clean my house. But then what would my children learn and what skills would they gain if that's what they knew? Like in The Millionaire Next Door. Have you heard of that book, Mike? I'm sure you oh, have. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Sure. Okay. So in the millionaire next door, you know, if you want to have that perception of wealth, I think a lot of people put a whole lot of onus on, well, I have a landscaper and he comes to do because my time's so valuable. Yeah, your time at work is so valuable. That's why somebody cuts the grass at your office space. Remember those things we used to work in, um, you know, <laughs> but at home, I kind of agree. I kind of agree with Brett in the sense that. Those are two different spaces. Now, the concept of not being able to give those things up that you should delegate, I think that's what we're getting at here. So to be, you know, it kind of begs the question. But at work, I find this to be a huge issue that a lot of advisors don't give up those things that they think they're so great at, but they shouldn't be doing. Like, for example, I have a client who mentioned to me that he did 200 financial plans a year. 200 and he did all the prep work himself all of it and oh i'm boy. thinking good golly what are you doing well he said well i was only home four nights a week in a given month this is what i'm talking about this is that's not work-life balance that's slavery to you know uh, servanthood at at work i mean that that is not a way to, to give it up. And that's exactly what he said. Like, I just couldn't give up. Those things are so important. My clients are so important. Like they're so important. You need to find out who can do that for you. And he's done such a great job. He's built a better practice. He's built a team now and he doesn't do any of the planning. He gets home. He's home, you know, um, <laughs> more than those four nights, but he's, he only works more like 35 hours a week down from his 70 plus. So I think this is, this is the issue that it comes down a lot of times to our ego at work. Like I'm so good at this. Yeah, but you might be good, but that's not in your sweet spot. 
do those things, those three to five things that are in your sweet spot that allow you to not only do what you like, but what's most productive for your skill set. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, that, okay, here's the $64,000 question, right? How do you, how do you figure out the three to five things or, or do you, um, do you, do you, do you, do you point out the things that you're, you're not good at, so you don't want to do those. And so is that easy? Is it easier to find a list kind of through a negative way, or is it easier to find it through a positive way that these are things that you really need to spend time at? You know, that is a $64,000 question. It's kind of loaded, Mike. There's so much to unpack there, but sure. um, I will, I will say this, I'll say this uh, for your audience that we probably, we probably know what those three to five things are, but on our own, it's very difficult to take accountability and responsibility for those three to five. So for example, I know what I need to be doing. It's speaking. It is working with um, my clients and it is doing some high level um, onboarding of those clients. Everything else should really be delegated, outsourced. um, And if I touch anything else, it should be really, really high level. Does that make sense? Sure. Absolutely. I I know what those are and you probably do too. Um, But there are a lot of people who are trying to do so much. They're a financial advisor and they're a firm owner or they're a, at an insurance company, they're the managing director or managing partner. They're, they're doing all of these pieces, personal production, and they're also hiring people. Well, unfortunately you might think that a certain task is, is helping you to, to do one of those things. For example, a managing partner that I, a client of mine, he was doing like a $15 an hour task all day long, trying to get new hires in. And while he's trying to build his firm, what he needed to do is hire somebody that that's their full-time job, right? And once he was able to do that, that freed up his time immensely. And he was just then uh, making the final offers for those advisors to join the firm. So I think we really need to be careful. We don't justify doing some of these things that you can pay someone else to do. You can hire a virtual assistant. You can hire a virtual pair planner. Welcome to the 21st century. Um, and, And I think that is so important that no, Brett, I'm not cutting, you know, the football field if I'm the quarterback. No way. <laughs> yeah, only if he can give a uh, some kind of tactical advantage. But uh, you're right. I, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> don't deflate the football. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, boy, ain't right. that the truth? Ain't that the truth? Um, yeah, I think that, that that's a that's a good, good way to leave that question because I, I do think it's. Um, um, you, you, you really have to define those three to five yourself, um, those, those tasks yourself, but there are some core tasks. I think that, um, what you're suggesting is they, as an advisor, they really need to focus on if, uh, uh, for example, they, they, they the regulation, uh, regulatory issues that may or might not be something they're good at. So they should consider delegating that. Yeah. And it comes down to more than just good at, there's a bunch of different quadrants. Some people talk about, you know, Ah, how do you delegate something? Um, But I I have a formula. It it takes about an hour and a half. And this is actually a strategy session that I do for, for, for people who I'm considering to be a good client of mine. And what we'll actually do is unpack several different um, uh, things. And I, I've got a, a process that works. We look at all of the activities they do. We give them a definition and after that, um, I have a way to help them rank it. 
and be able to say after they've ranked it correctly, then we look, well, then here's, here's your three to five. Here is your sweet spot. And while I think we do have a pretty good sense of what those might be, a lot of times we lie to ourselves in the process. So I think it's incredibly important to have someone like myself help them figure it out. Like hold that mirror, be that coach, be that person that can say, yeah, do you really think that you need to be spending, you know, hours doing a $7 an hour job? I had a multimillionaire tell me that he, he likes to do the click funnels and he likes to do that because that's exciting for him and it's really important. And the, um, after I told him that he really needs to consider, you know, getting rid of that, he found somebody for $7 an hour that could do that job. So <laughs> I think we're lying to ourselves a lot of the times. So in theory, Mike, yeah, we could do that. But I think there's a lot of fear and a lot of limiting beliefs that block our ability to see that clearly. Yeah, I, I, I can relate to that because I'm probably my I'm probably my best enabler when when I go to the gym or something, I'll, I'll enable myself to stop that uh, that that fourth set of doing uh, doing squats or something. Um, so so I think that's 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 a great concept. Um, OK, so here's another thought. Uh, uh, we see a lot. We hear a lot about a purpose-driven lifestyle or working with a purpose-driven company. Uh, it was about three years ago, and I was interviewing a person who said to me that they wanted to work at a purpose-driven company. And that took me a little bit by surprise. I had never heard that phrase together. But, you know, on, on your website, you talk about finding that purpose and then managing your time to it. So give listeners a perspective on on, on that evolution of where purpose-driven came from and, and how do you anticipate it evolving uh, in the future? Yeah, I mean, this is so pertinent to this discussion today. My whole tagline when I send an email to anybody is live life on purpose. Um, this tagline comes from because when I got up to speak for my father's funeral, I was the last speaker and and everybody else kind of took what I need, what I was wanting to say. Um, and I was left to go, you know, what 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 do I tell about my dad? The eulogy was already spoken. You know, there were lots of great things that were spoken about him. And I realized really the only thing that I could give that audience is just some hope of knowing that, yeah, my dad was 49. And in all sense of the word, it was a tragedy, like overnight tragedy. Nobody expected this wasn't ever supposed to happen. He died of a widow maker, which is essentially one artery clogged 90%, Mike, 90%. Uh. The, other, the other three arteries, just fine. Like no one would know. The doctor checked, you know, blood pressure uh, for his regular checkup. He was a healthy guy. You wouldn't have been able to see it. But inside... It's where this stress and, and, and everything um, built up. And so when when dad passed away and I spoke at his funeral, really what I offered, you know, the congregation there in the church was just, hey, my this was not a tragedy. We're all going to miss dad. But he lived his life on purpose. And so I've kept that tagline. I've kept that as my way of reminding myself that, Travis, you're prone. <laughs> you're an entrepreneur. It's in your blood. You're a third generation business owner. Like it, this is something that, that is ingrained in you and you need to be really careful that you don't ruin your work-life balance and, and not live your life with purpose. So I examined Mike, all areas of my life. I had crazy amounts of time to do some introspection and my wife and I, we changed the way we parent. We changed our diet. We changed um, a lot of, uh, a lot of things. And, and that's when I decided to go back to school and to really understand work-life balance and bring this to the industry instead of, you know, continuing on as a financial advisor, um, you know, and producer. 
But I think that this idea that we each have a purpose for every aspect of life, and I identify them as that there's about 10 areas of life, um, is congruent with what most people want to hear. So when I hear purpose-driven company, again, it kind of begs the question, Doesn't isn't every company purpose-driven? It doesn't, shouldn't every company have a purpose? I mean, Stephen Covey had his, you know, mission statements and and, and, and vision statements to help companies and businesses really achieve that. Uh, but I think that each one of us in our business should have a purpose. Now, I understand what the underlying, you know, idea is. Well, you know, socially responsible and, and eco-friendly. Sure. And, uh, you know, I get that. I totally understand that. Um, to me, I, I think that whether, whether you're, um, you know, looking at profit and then h- how you invest it, um, is more of a political type of discussion. Um, what I have seen, though, is that business owners and people who, uh, in, in the United States at least, United States business owners, um, give more than any other country um, per capita because of their profit. They're able to then have less greedy capitalism. And I know this is opening a, a political you know, can of worms potentially, but the reality is, when people um, have been blessed and they have profit, they're more likely, especially if they can hang on to that with all the tax grabbing, if they can hang on to that, they're more likely to give to charitable causes, to donations. And so I, I really believe, strongly believe that this this may be a misnomer, this purpose-driven kind of movement might, might be more politically motivated than sure. it is purpose-motivated. Gotcha. Inter- you know, it's fascinating because you do see that um... – uh, many of the companies that uh, some of the, some of the publicly traded ones, uh, many of the privately held ones, will say that they're giving a percentage of their profit to support this charity, and that will become part of really their their mission statement, and that will drive uh, and it will uh, it will not only drive the company, but it will attract people to the company that want to help support those types of charities. So, um, very true. Nailed it. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's I think that to me that's the most important part is. Are, you know, if you're the firm owner, are your advisors, are they, do they buy into the firm's vision? If the firm was to die today, would there be a legacy? Would there be a legacy of that firm having been around? Did that create better good? And I think this is the heart and core of capitalism in general. If we really understand where that's at, a business is only as successful as it is able to provide a a good a service a need that others purchase right i mean that's that's basic economics so the existence of that business has a purpose um are there are there sources of you know businesses that are just in it for a profit yeah, maybe but they still have to provide a product or a service unless they're unless they are 100% purely a Ponzi scheme, right? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I'm not talking that, but I think, I think the general public doesn't understand that, that the general public, I think is blinded by this miseducation behind a capitalist driven, uh, you know, company that gives and donates more than a lot of other companies do. Um, But it's touchy feely. It is happy go lucky, you know, let's invest in water. Let's do these other things. I'm not saying you shouldn't, uh, or even invest in them uh, with purpose, you know, driven investing. There's nothing wrong with that at all. 
but but I think that every company should, and more importantly, that your advisors, people on your team are invested in that same purpose. Because when those purposes, their own purpose and the business purpose are aligned, then there's less external motivation needed. That internal motivation to be part of that team and work hard and be productive goes way up. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's that that's that's the good message to take from there. That that having having the company goals and the individual goals aligned make for a much more powerful company. Uh, great point to make. Um, okay, so Travis, we're here. We're coming to the end of the podcast. I wanted to spend a few minutes on succession planning. I know that's a that's a topic that's near and dear to you, one you're very passionate about. Um, last I checked, I think the average age of a financial advisor is 56, could be 57 now. Uh, the business keeps getting more and more challenging. Uh, with uh, Last year, we saw regulation buy come in. The last year we saw the SECURE Act change rules. We saw the CARE Acts come through. So it's getting, it's, the regulation is getting harder. The rules are changing pretty consistently. How, how does finding that work-life balance help with succession planning? Yeah, I think it's crucial. It's crucial because if you're not able to trans, transfer the culture, right? The culture of the company uh, if it doesn't have a build on a great, you know, work-life balance to begin with, then then that that culture that that comes in that next generation will just pick up where that left off um, potentially, unless some people that come in, you know, that second third generation comes in with great new ideas and they can convince everyone else that this is the way to to do it, which is I've seen it happen, um, but most time that 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 expectation whatever that you know work-life balance is is going to transfer now here's the crazy thing about um, um, business succession in general family-owned businesses really struggle with making it to the not only the second generation but by the time it gets to third generation it's only like 13 percent actually make it right um, right yep and no you know i gave a present yeah i gave this presentation um to, to xy planning earlier this year there's a huge market, not only for financial advisors, um, but uh, but for those whom you advise, your business owner, clients, family-owned businesses um, that don't even have a plan. They don't even have a plan. And I'm not talking like a financial plan. They just don't have a plan at all. They don't even know who they would have as their successor. So what a lot of what I, I do to help uh, financial advisors is I actually a lot of times work hand in hand with them to help their clients to have a plan in place that is um, conducive to their culture and have a good work-life balance culture. So when the, it does transfer um, the, the, and the money transfers, that everything lines up. There's goals in the firm, goals in the individual. There's individual work-life balance that, that fits that culture. The relationships continue, and then the money flows. I call it the firm approach, F-I-R-M. Gotcha. Yeah, it makes perfect sense because it also dovetails into, you know, you read quite a bit about um, how uh, uh, financial advisors cannot get that money from the, uh, they have the relationship with the parents, but they have a, a difficult time transitioning that uh, relationship to their children when money gets passed to them. But if you've got that same type of culture, that same type of uh, business, it, it may make that process smoother. Yeah, absolutely. And it, only about one in five um, surveyed had an actual plan or had an actual successor in mind. And they didn't even you know, have a plan. 
So it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, you've got to take that step. Well, who, who's going to be the next? And I, and I will tell you, you know, keep bringing up my dad, but it's just the, the example that I use when my father passed away, uh, my grandfather, who I didn't, I didn't pressure enough before, right. As a financial advisor, you're the grandson coming in going, Hey, let me help you. We've got everything taken care of. We got in a good accountant. Great. When I said, Hey, grandpa, tell me, you know, what, what was your buy sell agreement? Um, we need to, you know, buy my mom out who's now owner of the right. company um he looked at me in tears in his eyes like we have a ten thousand dollar policy oh and oh. you know this is this is a big pet peeve of mine and something that i think needs to needs to transfer um as advisors we need we need to be doing a better job and sometimes we get we get pinned for being pushy or whatever i should have been more pushy i i totally should have um, it was for the sake of the company, but I believe that, you know, maybe pushy isn't right. Maybe it's just assertive and saying, this is the right thing that needs to happen. Um, because of what I've seen now, I've grown up with this now and have had, I've had to have those tough conversations with people where the business should have been able to, you know, continue on to that next generation. And, and it just really hasn't. So you're a financial advisor and you're, you're helping your clients, you know, <laughs> Uh, we can look at obviously these these horror stories of, of not having that in place, but your own um, take your own advice, decide who's going to be that successor, create a plan. Um, what a, a good friend of mine, his father um, knew that he wanted to make that succession um, happen, so he sent his son to uh, off to school to to get his CFP and do a master's in financial services, and so he could come back and take over the company and he had a plan for him. He had a path. Obviously he still had to take that path, but in reality there was at least a strategy, at least a plan in place and a financial plan to go with it. Gotcha. Yeah. I think it's a, it's, it is a practice what you preach, uh, because that is what, uh, they would talk to an individual about, but sometimes, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's not something that comes natural to a financial advisor to look, look inside and say, how is this going to, how is this going to, how, how can I put a plan together for me? So good stuff. Travis, I want to thank you so much for today's uh, podcast. Certainly learned a lot. Um, I, I, I learned, I, I'm still going to cut my grass, but I'm going to look at it a different way now. Uh, <laughs> it's good stuff. Well, I, I appreciate the, the opportunity to have me on and I hope people pick up the book, Achieving Balance. Go to travisperry.com forward slash book. It's still on pre-order. And grab grab the bonuses, the master, um, you know, there, there's that 30 minute master class, a 10 minute training on how to be a master of your inbox and a great article about how to take more vacations, how that helps you be more productive and have better balance. Gotcha. Good stuff. Travis, thanks again. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Till next time. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors. If you found this episode informative, please share with your peers and colleagues. Visit fmgsuite.com to discover more great resources and products to transform you into an extraordinary marketer and grow your advisory. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox.